0: This future is not easy. It will not come if we don't call it. It will not happen if we don't make it. Cast that ballot like a candle burning with ancestral flame. It's the legacy they fought for. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy, That inspiring clip lifts up spoken word poetry from 16-year-old Nairé Francis and 17-year-old Alora Young, who shared their words in a 2020 CBS broadcast called Everybody Counts, a Celebration of Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, August 16th. Speaking of voting, let's kick off with some quick looks at primaries today in Alaska and Wyoming. Not generally two states that pop onto the national attention, but of course both are showing real critical races this year. Of course, in Wyoming, it's the high-profile challenge against Representative Liz Cheney. It's hard to imagine that actually two years ago, she was the third-ranking member of the House and seemed on track to become the first Republican female Speaker of the House. But she was removed from her party post due to criticism of Trump and is now trailing the Trump-endorsed candidate, Harriet Hageman, by almost 30 points. So even though everyone is expecting her to lose this primary, there's also a lot of speculation that she'll consider a 2024 presidential bid. So she's not going to be out of the picture by any means, but likely to be unseated today in the primary contest. And of course, whoever wins the primary, odds on favorite in bright red, uh, Wyoming. Also up in Alaska, couple of interesting things. It's the first time using their revamped primary system under which all candidates, regardless of party, compete for one of four spots in the general election. So this is similar to like California, New Orleans, but a top four primary. And it's really changing the dynamic. So in the Senate, you see Lisa Murkowski, arguably the most moderate Republican in the U.S. Senate right now, being challenged from the right by Trump-backed candidate. But completely expected to be in the top four primary, perhaps to win it and move on to the general election and even in the general be more likely to succeed because of this primary setup. She's definitely cushioned from an attack from the right by this top four primary process. We also see the special election is happening today for Don Young's house seat. So, Sarah Palin is running, of course, but you also have Nick Begich, Republican businessman from a very prominent Alaska Democratic family, and Mary Piltola, who's a Democrat who served in the Alaska legislature. And Palin and Begich have been attacking each other really intensely. And so there's actually a possibility because of ranked choice voting in this that you could end up seeing Alaska send a Democrat to Congress unlikely, but definitely a possibility, a lot of questions of whether Sarah Palin is going to catapult from her celebrity status to win or actually be undermined by that celebrity status and the fact that she's been like outside of Alaska so much more than campaigning in Alaska. At the same time they're running a special election to finish the rest of Congressman Young's seat, they're also running a top four primary for the general election for the same seat. And so here you see the same three plus several more who are competing likely all of them will end up on the general election in November. So there'll be around two up in Alaska. But some interesting things to watch. We also likely won't know the results of the special election until the end of the month because ranked choice voting, which is the second part of Alaska's revamped voting system, does not allow any ranking to happen until all Ballots have been counted, including absentee ballots, which have to be received by the end of the month and postmarked by today. So there'll be a little bit of waiting time to see the results um, potentially in Alaska. Second thing when we're thinking broadly is kind of like it feels like perhaps the winds are changing for the midterm elections. But it's really too soon again, as I've been saying for the last few weeks, to know which direction they're changing. Very unsettled globally. Following on that visit from Speaker Pelosi to Taiwan, we now have a delegation of five US lawmakers who are visiting Taiwan. It's prompted a series of military drills by China, and so continued escalation. And if it went from escalated war drills into actually a military invasion of Taiwan, that could really scramble the political dynamics here in the country right before the election. Also this morning, Iran said it's submitted a written response to what had been described as a final roadmap to restore the nuclear arms deal. And they have not said what was in the proposal, but there are indications from the state-run news agency that they won't take the EU-mediated proposal, even though they've said there will be no more negotiations. So you could see the nuclear non proliferation deal in Iran collapse today as well. So these kind of continued developments, along with continued war in Ukraine, continue to kind of put a global spin on a set of domestic elections that no one quite knows how to respond to. We also see domestically things shifting. Gas prices are dropping, consumer prices have stabilized, which could be good signs obviously for Biden if they stay that way. Also word this morning that Republicans are canceling ad time in a number of major swing states for Senate campaigns. It's being called by the New York Times a likely sign of financial trouble. Also noting that a bunch of leading Republican candidates are struggling to raise money. So in the financial arms race that often happens leading up to an election, Republicans seem to be struggling. However, major super PACs backed by billionaires are filling the gaps. So it's far too soon, I would say, to call it a financial cliff. It's really a kind of ongoing example of the struggle between the far right and the more moderate branches of the Republican Party. But seeing cuts in spending in key races like Pennsylvania or Arizona by the National Republican Senate Campaign Committee is really unusual at this moment in time. And so definitely something to watch for. And of course, third big thing this morning is you've got Biden preparing to sign the landmark climate change and health care bill. House passed it on a party line vote. It has been sent to Biden's desk and he's preparing to sign today. He's calling it the final piece of his domestic agenda, trying to boost his party standing, you know, $375 billion to fight climate change, as I mentioned last week, also capping prescription drug costs at $2,000 annually for Medicare, extending Affordable Care Act for 13 million Americans, and paid for by these new taxes on large companies and stepped up IRS enforcement of the tax code. So a real big win and kind of a surprising shift from an administration that seemed stalled out to actually pass a series of big bills back to back, and it could be an, a sign of kind of momentum shifting. And then last but absolutely not least is the, it seems, 10,000 different developments in Trumpland over the last few days, all of which continue to kind of shape and shift how we understand what's going on. Of course, the biggest federal agents executing a search warrant at Mar-a-Lago Big thing here is now the search warrant has been disclosed and it shows that Trump is under investigation for both obstruction of justice and violations of the Espionage Act. On top of that, lawyers for Trump signed a statement in June saying there were no classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And of course, they just found a bunch of classified documents when they executed that search warrant. On top of that, you've got the Justice Department issuing a subpoena for former Trump White House lawyer, Eric Hirschman. their investigation and you've got dynamics with the fbi itself as the kind of trump base rallied so fast and then you had an attempted attack at the cincinnati fbi office the fbi having to bolster security at all of their field offices following the search you had trump having to give a deposition with the new york attorney general and he pleaded the fifth more than 400 times in that investigation. A civil suit by several people who say that Trump Tower security roughed them up in 2015 is now set to go to trial. This is against Trump Organization and Trump Tower, not against Trump himself, but still another piece of litigation and it It is now moving forward for trial. And another on Friday, the Manhattan DA, their ongoing fraud case. Well, the Trump Organization and the former CFO asked the judge to dismiss the case and the judge said no. So, 15 count indictment around fraud, tax evasion, grand larceny, falsification of business records. The judge dismissed one of those 15 counts, but the other 14 will now go to trial. So, no escaping it in New York either for with the attorney generals of investigation or the DAs. And then last but not least, down south in Georgia, a judge ordered Senator Lindsey Graham to testify in the probe that is underway in Atlanta around absentee ballots. And they're going to be asking about phone calls that he placed to Georgia election officials about how they were counting ballots. It's also been disclosed that uh, Rudy Giuliani is also a target of that Atlanta area probe. And what's likely here is that the probe is moving forward and you may even get a conviction if it moves to trial at the first level of court. However, it's a very partisan situation. Republicans controlling the Supreme Court in Georgia, so likely that even if we got a conviction at the lower court level, it might be thrown out at the higher court. But the fact that it's moving forward and fast and in a place where it's kind of lifting up these conversations in a place which both a Senate and a gubernatorial race that are so critical to the future of the country, really important. So there's both for all of these dynamics around investigations. Of course, the results... Who will be held accountable and how and when and how fast matter and the political theater of it? How does it change people's opinions of Trump and of those who he is defending and who are connected with him? And will that change the outlook and the trajectory of midterm elections, which will impact 2024 elections, which will, of course, impact the future viability of our democracy? A lot to be paying attention to this week. That's all I've got for review, but please join me next week. I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking to you again on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.